As I mentioned earlier, one of the rallying cries of the Protestant Reformation was sola scriptura, the Bible and the Bible only. But have you ever wondered how we got the Bible? Or maybe you've heard about some of these other books that were supposedly excluded or, or should have been included or, or questions about the books that were included. And it can be kind of confusing, especially if you watch like a documentary uh, on the History Channel or something. Then they usually get these secular scholars, sometimes people that don't even believe in the Bible, to talk about the Bible and how it came to be. And so it's important for us to know how did we get the Bible? Now this topic is too big to talk about it all in one Sabbath. So we're going to do this over a couple of Sabbaths. Today I hope to talk about how we got the Old Testament. But I'm just going to admit from the beginning I'm not an expert. You'll probably have questions after I'm done today and that's good. I hope it makes you think, makes you want to study more and I can give you guidance in, in places to read or things to watch. Uh, but I'll just admit, I'm coming to this as somebody who believes that God exists. And I believe that God uh, has revealed himself through prophets and through holy writers of old. We sung the song, Ancient Words. Never true, changing me, changing you. I believe that God has inspired people to write. Um, and I'll also give you a spoiler alert. I believe that, that we got it right. And I hope to defend that to you and give you some good reasons for that. You know, when I was a boy, I had this active imagination, which I actually still have, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, active imagination. But I was thinking about, well, how did we get the English language? And I imagined the language that we speak, I imagine that it came about by a bunch of guys who would go to this office in suits every day and they'd sit around a table and they'd talk and they would make up words, <laughs> write them down, and then that became another word in the English language. And I pictured a husband coming home, sitting down saying, hi honey, you'll never guess what we invented today. Here's what we added to the English language. And while we chuckle and laugh because we intuitively know that's not how languages develop, that's often how people believe the Bible was created. We picture men with long robes, long beards, gathering together, maybe in a castle, maybe by candlelight, maybe it's a smoky room, sitting around big tables, choosing what's in, what's out, what's inspired, what's not inspired, putting it all together, voting on it, and that's the Bible and how we got it. It may work good for movies, it may work well for novels, but that, I, I think you'll see, is not an accurate depiction of how we got the Bible that we have today. The Bible didn't come down to us on golden plates. It didn't come down all at once from heaven and then we just translated it and now we have it. It would be, I mean, a little more straightforward 
we kind of have in Western thinking what we call bounded set thinking, which means when we go, well, when I go to potluck, I like there to be boundaries in between my food. Everything needs to fit in its neat little box, in its neat little place. More of the Eastern thinking, yeah, everything can kind of mix together. And I'm not thinking primarily about food here. I'm thinking about thought and the way things grow and develop. And it would be convenient for us just to say, yeah, they came down on golden plates, and here, and that's the way we got the Bible. But we know, for our sacred scriptures, that's not how it happened. The Bible is a divine book, but it's also a human book, guided, inspired, we believe, by the Holy Spirit. And so we would expect then that if it didn't come down all at once, that it came down... <laughs> It was breathed out, inspired, put together over a long period of time. And we may still have questions as we examine the process, but as we look at the overarching process, I think you're going to be very uh, affirmed in your faith. So there's a word we need to know. It's the word canon. Not the boom, boom kind. This is the canon of Scripture. It means, it only has one N. It means... This is the rule or the yardstick. It's the measurement. It's, it's the grouping of documents that we consider to be authoritative. And because we believe that there's a God and because we believe that God spoke through people and inspired them to write down books, we believe it's possible for there to be a canon, a group of documents that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. It makes sense then. Um, kind of the approach that we're going to take today. And, and if you don't share these convictions, that's fine. Uh, I think you'll still find this to be a very interesting presentation today. Uh, there's a lot we can learn, even if you don't believe in the Bible at all. Uh, I think you'll see some compelling reasons to believe in, um, in the canon as we have it today. Uh, but for those who, who don't necessarily approach it like this, then their approach will be less of examining the, the nature and the intrinsic um, value, divine value of the books of the Bible. Then the process for them is more of looking at councils and, okay, when did this group of people decide that this was authoritative? But if it came from God, then the books of the Bible should have authority in themselves, whether or not they're recognized, right? If there's a, a popular celebrity that's walking down the sidewalk and you don't recognize them, are they still a popular celebrity? <laughs> of course they are. Recognition doesn't make something what it is. And so I'm going to be suggesting to you today that, that the canon of Scripture began when the first book of the Bible was written. And the, the canon closed when the last book of the Bible was written, regardless of when people may or may not have recognized it as such. Does that make sense? So the canon of Scripture, this group of sacred writings, could be complete much earlier than groupings of people getting together to recognize it uh, may have happened. And while we're, we'll look at some of that history, that's not the most important part. The most important part is um, 
the, the, the intrinsic, the natural nature of these books themselves. So I want to start off, I want to go to the book of, of Exodus. Exodus chapter 24, is there any evidence to start off with that God even intended for us to have a canon of the Old Testament, of the Bible? Is there evidence that God intended for us to write this stuff down, to group it together? Exodus chapter 24, and we'll start there in verse 3 and 4. Bible says there, and I'm reading from the New King James translation today. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord had said, we will do. Moses had a divine experience, if you accept that this is an accurate telling. Moses had a divine experience with God he passed along all the words to the people, and the people said, we got this. And that's a sermon for another time, a little uh, overestimating their ability to, to truly obey. But notice what happens in verse 7. Exodus 24, verse 7. It says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So all the way back here in Exodus, it's clear that there's at least a certain grouping of writings that the people following after God said, that is authoritative. That's the word of the Lord to us, written by humans, but this is divinely inspired. We are going to follow it. We see evidence of an authoritative group of scriptures from the very beginning. We see this not only in Exodus, but we see this uh, throughout Israel's history from time to time. And we can go to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Second Chronicles 34, and we'll look there at verse 30 through 32. This is now during the time of King Josiah. Leading up to Josiah, as you may recall from our, our series on the kings, there were some bad kings. They were not worshiping God, not following God. Uh, they had forsaken God. They had forsaken His law. And odd as it may sound, they basically had lost whatever sacred scrolls they had. They were misplaced over time. And so Hilkiah the priest finds, literally finds the book of the law. He finds at least probably the Torah, the first five books of the Bible as we understand them. He, he says, boy, this looks important. And he takes it to the king. And notice there in verse 30, 2 Chronicles 34, verse 30. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant with the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments 
and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Time had gone by. They had lost the sacred writings. And now they're found when they're read. The people recognize them. The king recognizes them as being of divine origin having authority in their lives, and they stand there and they recommit themselves to following and obeying. Very clearly, they believed in a canon of Scripture. They believed in a group of sacred writings. Now, it's important for us to understand they didn't have books like we have today. It's not as though... Moses finishing the first five books of the Bible, he said, all right, here's the first edition, guys, get it while you can. And then later, as other writings were, were written down, created, and they, they gathered them together, it's not as though, okay, go back to the press, boys, we're coming out with version three, volume four, get the latest edition. No, 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 it, what did they write on? They wrote on scrolls. So think of it more like a, a gathering of these sacred scrolls, putting them together in a common place. Uh, they didn't create books like we have with tables of contents until much later. And sure, in their libraries, they also had other writings, writings that, that weren't considered to be inspired, but still were nevertheless interesting and useful. And we're going to talk about those more at another time. But from the beginning, uh, the canon of Scripture began to grow as holy men of God wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The canon began to take greater and greater shape. It's interesting because in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, who, who helped get things going again after the Babylonian captivity, after Artaxerxes allowed the people to go home, and they helped gather together sacred scrolls. Uh, you can imagine after being gone for 70 years, after all of that disobedience, that it's not like everybody had the copies of the scrolls on their iPhones, right? They only had the iPhone 1 or 2 in those days, and so, or, okay, maybe not. Not at all, right? They didn't, did they? No, of course not. And a lot of the people uh, wouldn't even be able to read, and so they were dependent upon going to the priests or uh, those who were able to read. So Ezra and Nehemiah helped, after the Babylonian exile, gather together the sacred writings. You can actually read about it, um, this process. Uh, there's a book called uh, Maccabees, and there's Second Maccabees, which was written um, after this time period. And it's not generally considered to be inspired by Protestants, but it also is considered useful as having some history that informs us. And notice what he says about Nehemiah. He wrote about the, quote, archives or memoirs of Nehemiah. And then he said that Nehemiah, quote, founded a library and collected the books about the kings and the prophets and the books of David. Nehemiah 
not only was doing a work of reform with the structure of the city and the walls, but he's gathering up these pieces of inspired material uh, that had been collected over the years. The scrolls eventually were arranged into three categories. How many categories? Three, three categories. Um, the first category was called the Law, or the Torah, and it included the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, so that was called the Law. So a lot of times when you read in the New Testament about the Law, they're thinking about this broad body of, of, of writings, not merely a specific single Law. And then there were the Prophets. The prophets was the second grouping, and it had the first former prophets, uh, which this may sound a little odd, but, but they considered Joshua, Judges, and then First and Second Samuel were together on one scroll, and First and Second Kings were together on one scroll. And while we wouldn't necessarily think of Joshua as a prophet, in our typical understanding, a prophet is merely somebody who speaks on behalf of God. And Joshua had an encounter with God, didn't he? Um, he saw that divine, angelic being, and he led the people. Uh, and then there's the four later um, prophets. There's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then the 12 prophets. We'd call them minor prophets. They were all together. They eventually put them all together in one scroll. So that's the prophets. There's the law, first five books of the Old Testament, the prophets, um, largely the prophetic books of the Old Testament, but some of what we would consider more the historical content. Uh, and then finally there was the writings, the writings. Uh, and that contained the, the remaining books that we would think of in our Old Testament. They grouped it into 11 books. Um, they, they put some of these books together and it included Psalms. Psalms was the first book. Uh, and then there was Ezra and Nehemiah. They went together, First and Second Chronicles. They didn't divide them. They just put them together. Um, 24 books in all in the Jewish Old Testament, uh, which equates to the same number of books, just divided differently to our 39 for the Old Testament. So there were these three divisions uh, grouped together. You could even picture them being arranged in the temple in three different canisters. And I'm oversimplifying this, this whole thing, but, but this is the big idea. These three divisions existed, and what's amazing is they also believed there's writings outside of the Bible which indicates that the people didn't believe that any prophets or this prophetic stream uh, of one prophet after another, that ceased after the time of Nehemiah and Ezra in the days of Artaxerxes. Josephus, he was a Jewish historian who wrote later on after the time of Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, from Artaxerxes to our own time, the complete history has been written, but has not been deemed worthy of equal credit with earlier records. So he's saying there was history that was written between Artaxerxes' time and ours, but it's not deemed as equal. We don't hold, hold it on the same uh, level as what was written before because of the failure of exact succession of prophets. He says, man, back in those days, 4th, 5th century B.C., the prophets stopped. 
And so we don't hold the writings that come after that to be of the same authority. We have given practical proof for our reverence of our own scriptures. For although such long ages have passed, no one has ventured either to add or to remove or to alter a syllable. Josephus was very convinced that his people, the Jewish people, had preserved what had come before, and he classified it as a different nature than what came after. You can read in, in the book of 1 Maccabees, again, one of these historical books that came after that time, but they wrote, great distress in Israel, such as when the prophets ceased to appear in Israel. This was 150 BC approximately that this was written. So the author of Maccabees is looking back and remembering when the prophets stopped showing up. Jesus affirmed the Old Testament canon. He did it in his life. He did it in what he said. He often quoted, he said these things, it is written. Now, if, if in the days of Jesus, Jesus and everybody was so confused as to what should be held in authority, it wouldn't make sense for him to time and time again say, it is written, it is written. He was appealing to a grouping of books that were well-known, held in high esteem in his day. Go to um, Luke 11. Let's go to Luke 11, verse 51. Nobody ever challenged Jesus by saying, hey, wait, 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 it's written where? Which book? Th that's not a, we don't, we don't use that book. No, they just accepted it because it was well-known in his day. Luke 11, 51. Now, this is very, very interesting. Luke 11, verse 51. Jesus talking now, and he's, he's rebuking the Pharisees and the lawyers. And he says, from the blood of Abel to the blood of who? Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. I, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. The blood of Abel, I guess for you, Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Now we would look at that and we'd say, aha, from A to Z. But that's not what he was thinking about. That's us putting our English language and, and going back. The groupings started with Genesis in the Torah, right? The law, that was the first grouping. Abel was the first person who died in the Bible. And so there was the, the law, there were the prophets, and what was the final grouping I said? The writings. You know what the last book in their organization of the writings was? It was what we would call Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. And if you go to the end of Second Chronicles, you read about a guy, then there were a couple of Zechariahs, but you read about a guy named Zechariah. He was killed under the direction of Joash, who started off so good and then ended so badly, but he was killed there in the temple. And most scholars, believe, at least many scholars believe, 
Jesus is referencing. Um, the, the author of Zechariah, we have no reference that he ever died uh, of a, a violent death inside the temple. Um, but Zechariah uh, did. And so many people believe Jesus is quoting a martyr from the beginning of their grouping of the Old Testament, and he's going to the very end of it. In other words, Jesus is affirming this beginning and ending of the Hebrew canon, uh, beginning and ending of the scriptures as we know it. Very interesting. Uh, not only that, but you can read in some of these intertestamental books like uh, Ecclesiasticus, also called Sirach, and many other names. Uh, but he wrote this about 130 to 110 BC, and he said, the law, the prophets, and the other books of our fathers. Again, affirming these threefold divisions of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, another thing that's interesting is what Jesus said in Luke 24. So while we're in Luke 11, go to Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus himself affirmed this threefold grouping of the scriptures. Again, giving evidence that the canon of the Old Testament as we understand it can be relied upon and trusted. Luke 24, verse 44. What does it say there? It says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and what? And the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. The Psalms were the very first book in the group of the writings. And so it seems like he was using this to refer to all of the writings. Jesus recognized this threefold division. Writers outside of the Bible recognize the threefold division. Writers outside of the Bible recognize the cessation of prophecy after the time of Artaxerxes. So it seems pretty clear. By the time we get to Jesus and the apostles, there wasn't a whole bunch of confusion as to what books were in and what were out. And, and sure, there were sects within Judaism. And we'll talk on another day about the Dead Sea Scrolls and some of the books contained there. We'll talk about the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and some of the books that were contained there. Uh, and while there may have been some disagreement here or there, there seems to be a pretty good general consensus as what came from the Lord and what didn't come from the Lord. Let's look at a few more passages here. So, Jesus, by his life, demonstrated he had confidence in Scripture. He obeyed the laws given to uh, the children of Israel at Sinai. He kept the commandments. Uh, he even spoke, he said in Matthew 22, 29, he said, You do err not knowing the Scriptures. And he wasn't saying, hey, you guys have no idea which writings are in and which are out. He's saying, you guys aren't interpreting the Scriptures correctly. And they didn't respond with, well, which scriptures? It's impossible to tell, Jesus. Jesus said, you don't understand these scriptures that we have. He quoted from many books. You know what the favorite book of Jesus to quote from, or the most common one he quoted from? Good guess. The book of Psalms. He quoted Psalms more than any other book, 
and then Deuteronomy was second. But he quoted from Psalms, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, Jonah, Micah, Zechariah, Malachi. Uh, when you look at all the quotations, those that are clear in the New Testament, of our Bible of 39 books, uh, 30 out of the 39 have definite, clear quotations in the New Testament. And, and the authors made it clear that they viewed these writings as inspired. They would say things like, for as the prophet has written, uh, etc. They demonstrated confidence in what had been given to them. Um, let's look at a couple more verses here. 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 15. Second Timothy 3, verse 15, it says, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He's saying, hey, Timothy, you, you know the Holy Scriptures. Not, hey, from childhood you had a good guess as to which ones were good and, and the ones that weren't. And, no, you've, you've known them. The ones that we base our salvation on. And then he says in verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Paul recognized a grouping of body, a grouping of writings, sacred scriptures, and he could declare with confidence that they were inspired just like the other apostles did. Notice what Peter says. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 19 through 21. Bible says there, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter also believed that the writings that, that he had grown up studying were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who had taught Peter, would certainly have corrected him if he'd had the wrong understanding. But Jesus, by his life, by his words, by his quotations, uh, demonstrated that he had faith in this grouping of, of 24 books for, for their perspective and, and for us, 39. So then the natural question to ask is, well, what about the Apocrypha? And, and what about... We've, we've heard and you saw this article in Time magazine about this new scroll that was just discovered. What about this one? What about that? Would you like to know how we should understand these things? Good. That's part of this series. Um, next week, we're going to talk about the New Testament. Uh, and then my hope the following week is to talk about the Old Testament Apocrypha the New Testament Apocrypha, maybe you've heard of the Pseudepigrapha, and so forth. We're going to get into all that stuff 
um, and we're going to have some fun. But I just want to close with a final thought. Jesus believed that God inspired the writers in the Old Testament. Would you agree? Jesus quoted from Jeremiah, and I want to leave you with a verse from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. It says, Yes, the Lord has spoken to me of old, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. This is the Old Testament that Jesus believed in. This is the Old Testament that Jesus loved and quoted and memorized. And this is what we need to be studying as well. All scripture was given to us, so we should be studying all of it. Well, it's a fun journey. We're gonna continue it next week. Inside, if, if possible, and if not, you may have to be at home behind a screen, which I don't like as well, but let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Yeah. Please? And, and who? Emmy. Emmy, okay. Thank you. Yeah, let's do that. Loving Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you've given us your word. Um, we still have questions. And we're going to have questions, but we pray that you will guide us to good answers and that you will guide our study and that, and that we will be people who, who know this word, uh, who internalize it and apply it. And we're just so grateful that you love us and that you've given us some things to study and read so that we can know more about you and more about your great love for us. Father, as has been reminded to me, uh, we want to pray for Marianne Green. She's been in the hospital for a while, and uh, we just pray that the doctors will figure out what's going on and be able to, to, to fix what's wrong. And we pray for Emmy as well, that you will bless her and whatever she's dealing with today. So we pray you'll bless us and lead us in Jesus name. Let everybody say amen. 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 Have a happy Sabbath. Don't forget to sign up for the Great Controversy audiobook. Uh, let's continue to be careful uh, with our masks and social distancing. We don't want anybody to get sick. Amen. amen. And we'll see you one way or another next week.